of true delight whom I unseen adore unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more oh that I might love thee more you're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian the following message was recorded live from our sanctuary Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. The scripture reading is found in Judges, the 10th chapter, verses 6 through 16. Judges is the seventh book of the Old Testament found following Joshua and and then located just before the short book of Ruth, which is followed by 1 Samuel. In your pew Bibles, it's located on pages 210 to 211. The people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Astaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites and the gods of the Philistines, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites, and they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Ammonites, which is in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the Ammonites and from the Philistines? The Sidonites also and the Amalekites and the Mayanites oppressed you and you cried out to me and I saved you out of their land. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them, and served the Lord, and he became impatient over the misery of Israel. Uh, Let us pray once again. O Lord, as we come to your word, open up our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your law. We ask this for Jesus' glory and honor. Amen. This passage, in this passage, again, we see God as salesman. Okay? God as salesman. 
he sold them into the hand of the Philistines, into the hand of the Ammonites. Puts the people of Israel up on the auction block, okay? Hey, I've got this people here. I'm ready to get rid of them, and I can make you a good deal. He wants to move this property. He wants to sell the stock, right? Why? Why? Well, the first reason is that their love went out to anything but God. And our application way to put it is our love as human beings tends to go for anything instead of God. That's the point of his listing seven gods, and we'll talk about how there are seven deliverances mentioned as well. So this is the perfect number, the complete number, saying in one sense not just seven, but over and over, in every way possible you have served other gods. In every way imaginable you have gone after other gods. That's the gist of this passage, to mention these seven gods. And so, basically, he's saying there has been non-stop faithlessness on your part. Or as Ralph Davis puts it, faithlessness stacked high in this passage. And there's no God that they wouldn't serve, right? No God that they wouldn't serve. Yeah, this one. Oh, yeah, this one. This one. Yes, yes. I'll take that one too. Thank you. And they would therefore stop at nothing. Any God would do, and here's the sad point, any God would do except Yahweh. Right? I'll have any God, any of them. I just don't want this one. I just don't want Yahweh. That's the feel of this passage, the ugliness of this passage. I know the one that I don't want. Now, we read this parable about the great invitation, and this is likely a picture of of God being the one who has the feast, who is holding out the prospect of eternal fellowship with him and likely Christ being pictured as the servant to gather in. And it was told particularly uh, to the Pharisees, this fellow that asked the question uh, was probably himself assuming that all of the righteous Pharisees would end up in heaven. And Jesus is pointing out that no, in fact, you have rejected the one who's come. And the call is going out to many others that will be gathered. He's saying, there will be a feast. There will be a glorious salvation in that last day. But many of you will not receive it. Many of you will not have it. And the reason that some of you here may not have it, may not enter into that feast one day, is the same basic reason that Israel was doing what it was doing You have other gods, other gods that you want to serve instead of this God. And believe you me, if you don't give yourself to this God, to the Lord Jesus Christ, then by the nature of the case, you've chosen other gods. You may think, I'm just neutral, I'm just out for me, whatever, I just don't want to do that. That's the language of rejecting the true God. And name your other God, whatever it may be. 
where is your primary allegiance? Where is your primary affection? What gives you purpose and meaning? What is the reason you do things every day? It's something else if you've not given yourself to God. And you need to at least come to grips with that and say, I, I do worship something. I have an allegiance to something because it's not this God. And for many of us, for many years, it didn't matter what it was as long as it wasn't God. You know, It could be entertainment. It could be sports. It could be uh, sexuality. It could be things that are so bad that you hardly want to mention them. Or it could be something as simple as family or work. You know, that's way more important to me and has my devotion, but not God. So as, as human beings, we find any God in the world that will do to keep us away from giving ourselves to God himself. And the reason is that we don't think he's worthy. And that's another thing you have to come to grips with. I don't think he's worth trusting. I don't think he's worth putting my life into his hands. So this certainly speaks to that uh, large issue of whether we have taken God as our God. But I'd like to move to something that pertains to us particularly as the people of God, since this is addressed to to the people of God. Maybe uh, an aspect of rejecting God, something that, if it's ultimate and absolute, could really mean that we've rejected God, even within the church, but at least is something that warns us and raises our concern over our the nature of our commitment to Him. And that would be, I'm going to suggest to you, our regard for God's Word, okay? Our regard for God's Word. Now, in the scripture, as you may be familiar with, everywhere you turn, there's the urging to be devoted to the Word of God. For instance, the whole book of Psalms, which is the book of God's worship, begins with, blessed is the man who avoids the evil in this world, and his delight, this blessed man, this man of fulfillment and richness and satisfaction and fellowship with God, his delight is in the law of the Lord and he meditates in it day and night. And he's like this tree planted by rivers of water. And that's, that's like the front porch of all of worship, you know, that worship can't even be conceived of in, in terms of the arrangement of the Psalms apart from this devotion to the Word of God, this constant regard for that Word. And then when you get into the Psalms, you find the large place given in Psalm 119 to the Word of God, 176 verses. Each uh, eight uh, couplets of, uh, I'm sorry, each little section of eight verses is based on a different uh, first letter of the Hebrew alphabet to point out the fullness of God's Word, that it touches every detail. It's comprehensive. It's glorious in its gift to us and all that it does for us. So it, the Word enters in, you, you enter into worship by the Word, and, and the Word has this greatest place uh, in, in worship. And 
You can turn with me if you want to to Psalm 119. I'm going to read a few verses. It's on page 512 if you want to use the Pew Bible. But just to give you a little flavor, and be thankful, I'm not going to read all 176 verses. That would be the end of the sermon after that. I think some of you are thinking after we read that one chapter in Judges last week, surely that's all, you know, because we read such a long passage last week. But in Psalm 119, just get a little feel for the attitude toward the Word. He says in verse 14, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. The next verse, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. They don't become counselors automatically. You make them your counselors. You're constantly regarding them, listening to them, and hearing them. And down in verse uh, 30, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. And then you skip over to verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Mm. I think of seeing the lotto at 500 and something million, you know. And you say, that means nothing like the Word does. This true, uh, deepest treasure. Over to uh, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You see that the constant... Uh, regard for that word and how it shines on everything he does and informs everything he does. And then over to verse 124. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I'm your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. You're the cry of the heart. Teach me. Give me understanding. I want to know this word that you've given me. And verse uh, 127, therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Verse 131, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Familiar with Psalm 42, where as the deer pants after the water book, so my soul pants after God. The pant after God means you're going to be panting after his word as well. You can't do the one without the other. There's just this joint passion for God that is manifested in my passion for His Word. And then just a few others. Um, pay, uh, the next page, if you're following the Pew Bible, verse 161. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. There's a nice condition that, that my life is defined in this way, standing in awe of His Word. I rejoice at your Word like one who finds great spoil. And then 165, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. And Paul's statement in Colossians 3, uh, verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. You know, in the South, uh, many, many places, 
All you see for miles on the side of the road are not trees and bushes. It's what? Anybody? Kudzu, right. <laughs> These vines that just spread over everything. Now, that's not a good thing. You know, kudzu's pretty uh, damaging to things. But his word to richly dwell within us is like a desert just becoming, you know, a garden. That's, that's the picture. Let his word become this glorious, scented, fruitful garden in your heart and life. And that doesn't happen automatically. It happens through effort. It happens through discipline. It happens uh, as we give ourselves to that word. So, Scripture, therefore, tells us this. It, it gives us the guarantee of the blessedness, as Psalm 119 begins. Blessed is the man who walks in this law. It's guaranteed, as Justin Wilson, the Cajun comedian, used to say, guaranteed, right? This is for sure. It will happen. You will be like a tree planted by streams of water. And yet, and yet, what do we do? How do we react to this? And I would suggest to you that like the Israelites here, in regard to the word, in many cases, anything will do except the Bible. Anything. Right? It's like the newspaper instead of the Bible. A novel. Toys and dolls and video games. Pinterest, Facebook, TV shows, movies, sports, music, texting, gardening, cooking, entertaining, decorating, cars, hunting, fishing, hanging out, playing with the dog, swimming, surfing, the web. Thought I left you out on surfing, but no, by the web. Staying up too late so I can't get up and sleeping instead of getting up. Anything it seems in our lives would be more interesting than this. This is the last thing I want to do. The very last thing I want to do. And though I'm not saying by that... I mean, if it's absolute and ultimate and defines your life, then maybe that's the big red flag. Maybe I don't love God. Maybe I don't care to know His glory. Maybe I don't care to enrich myself on Him and know His promises and live by His promises and give my allegiance to Him in this Word in which He's revealed Himself. But at least, hopefully, you can see the similarity in Israel, finding any God but God and our finding anything but the Word. Piper has said, one of the greatest, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. And I would say that about the Word as well. It's not a lack of time. We could list hours, couldn't we? Each one of us of what we've done this past week to say, no, it's not a lack of time. That's really not the point. It's not the issue. 
It's where my heart is. It's where my commitment to Him is. And the gods were, you know, more exciting than Yahweh, it seemed. They were more sensuous. They were more tangible. You could feel it. You could touch it. There's a real wooden stone to begin with, you know? Something you could see, could lay hold of. And you could experience it in various ways of, that were very sensual and real, it seemed. And maybe that's part of our problem. We don't have spiritual eyes to see what it would mean to know God in His Word and the magnificence that can break out in our life as we treasure His glory in the Word. And then you ask, what am I going for instead of that? What, what is that much more important than the glory of God in His Word? And so again, Piper has said, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. And what does he mean by that? He says, at least in general, this isn't the case for some of us at different times in our lives, uh, but, but this is generally for American Christianity, evangelical Christianity, something you could say, it is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It is not the X-rated video, but the prime time dribble of triviality we drink in every night. And I want to recall for you, we read this parable recently in the last month or so, but uh, the, the parable as it's put forth in all three of the Gospels, and I'll be reading from Matthew 13's uh, version of this. But one of the seeds that was sown uh, grew up among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it, right? But recall what he says, the interpretation of this. Uh, he says that, the seed, the, the, the thorns are the cares of this world, the concerns, the everyday life, things that squeeze out the word and it doesn't bear fruit in our lives. That seems apropos to what we're talking about, critical. I mean, here's a major section, Jesus says, as the kingdom goes out and the word goes forth. Here's a major section of people that it looks like they're with it and they're going to bear fruit. But no, everyday life chokes it out. Other things become more important than that word. And it doesn't bear fruit in their life. Well... One more quote from Piper. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you've drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you've nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things, and there's no room for the great. I would challenge you with that. Maybe your soul is stuffed with the small things, and there's no room for the great, and you're not giving yourself to those great things that God has for you in His Word. So, especially if you're flying in West Texas and then out West and other places, 
It's remarkable always to me that these places can be so dry, so little rainfall, and yet there has been rain somewhere, and that's in the Rocky Mountains, and a lot of it, and all these tons of water have to go somewhere. And so they'll flow right through a dry area because it had nothing to do with the rainfall of that area, right? It's supplied from somewhere else. And if you're up in the plain, you always see it. Even if you can't see any water, you just see this little ribbon, right? Trees hovered around this wonderful water that they're drinking from. And they're, they're beautiful trees, glorious trees, full fruit. Everything's there. Not uh, half a mile away, nothing. But all huddled around that water, look at those trees. And I want that to be the picture of your life and my life. I want that to be the picture of our congregation all huddled or crowded around this ribbon of water uh, so that we, like the psalmist says in Psalm 63, I longed for you in a dry and dusty land in which there was no water. Uh, my soul thirsts for you. I earnestly seek for you that we would seek for him in the midst of this dry world and that we would find that water. You know, as it says in Psalm 160, uh, 119, the last verse we read, that uh, those who are given up to your word have great peace. And, you know, that's the grand word shalom in the Hebrew, which means fullness and richness and wholeness of life. Um, you know, you're killing your shalom here, okay? You're not giving yourself to the word. You're just killing your shalom. Your life can be governed in ways that you may not can conceive of by this shalom, this peace of God. And I just urge you, I urge you. And, and it, it shocks me about myself, not, not you. I'm shocked. I've got enough shock about my own life in this regard. Yeah, yeah, a preacher who can find himself preparing for sermons, yet did I have a devotion that week? Would I do this if I weren't a minister? See, those are the questions I ask myself. And that's why personal devotions are critical for any uh, minister as well, that he has a hunger and thirst that's not just, I've got to get this job done, but he loves God and loves the Word. But this truest delight and joy for us to say, no, I don't want it. I don't want this joy. I don't want this delight in you. Because ultimately, brothers and sisters, it's a delight in God or not. That's the ultimate thing we're after in the Word. Not just getting some information, learning a little history, learning a poem here or there in the Psalms. It's to know God. And it's not only that we will have this joy in Him as we study Him, but what this joy, what the promises of the Bible bring to the whole of our lives, how it enriches every part of our lives, every event and uh, every relationship and your responsibilities and your pleasures. And we're not advocating a pleasureless life, but real pleasure where you enjoy all the things that we mention, okay, in the context of God's Word. His Word is the heartbeat of it. His Word is the lens through which you see it all. 
Life in all of its wonderful diversity lived in the presence of God, not apart from God. And how can it be unless we are immersed in that word? How can it be? Because this is his revelation of himself to us. Richard Baxter prayed that we, as the people of God, uh, that delighting in him would be the work of our lives. I would challenge you with that. Could that be the work of your life every day? Just imagine that. The work of my life today. Delight in God through Jesus Christ. If that's the case, then yes, full slate of things to do and to do them all out of delight and and fellowship with God. But certainly a centerpiece would be, I want to delight in Him in that primary, critical way, seeing His glory in His his Word. It's interesting, Talitha Ruth Piper, when she's 15 years old, uh, said this, A girl should get so lost in God that a guy has to seek him to find her. So lost in God that a guy has to seek him, that is God, to find her. And I hope you girls would want to be those kinds of girls. That if a guy doesn't want God, he doesn't want me. And I hope all of you boys will grow up and say, if she's not found in God, then I've got to go somewhere else. Because God is what my life is all about. Well, our love for anything instead of God And the other thing, and we'll deal with this more briefly, just so you don't get worried. Um, Our lies, therefore, in relating to God. Okay, There's a relationship between these. That they want anything but God. And so their confessions, apparently, as as it unfolds here, amount to lies in their relationship to God. So our love for anything instead of God and then our lives in relating to God. Because God goes on to talk about the sevenfold mercies. So he's saying, my mercies have been constant, complete, overwhelming. In every way I have delivered you. And in return, in every way you've turned against me and abandoned me in the face of these constant mercies. And so the question has to be if there's a cry, deliverance back to our gods, cry, deliverance back to our gods, cry, deliverance back to our gods. What's going on here? In fact, this passage at at verse 16 where it says, He became impatient over the misery of, of Israel is the same word used when it says that Delilah was after uh uh, Samson, day in and day out, after him, after him, after him, it says it drove him crazy. So annoying. that It says he was vexed to death. He was, uh, it says she wore him out. She bothered him to death, grieved him to death, the different translations. So that word grieved seems to indicate that God was so sick of this lying misery of Israel. So sick of it. You see, they, they were 
faithful to Israel, I mean, Israel was faithful to God about like this. Imagine a husband who won't talk to his wife. He won't do anything with her. He won't listen to her. He doesn't really like to eat with her. He, he prefers to eat in front of the TV or with his computer. He is short with her, mean to her, harsh to her, largely ignores her, except for one thing. And we all know what that is. Okay? Likes to be physical. Nothing else. Okay? This is a lie, right? And the one event where you need something. That's like Israel. Here's the one time I need something, God. I need deliverance. I need safety. Help me. Yeah. And it's as though we're pulling him off the shelf or, or pulling him close so that he can help us. But all the while, we have our hand on those gods. Come here, I, I need your help. I need your deliverance. I need your deliverance. Please deliver me. Please deliver me. Thank you. Thank you. Now, you, you, you can go now. I don't, I don't, I don't need you. Yeah, just, no, leave me alone. Leave me alone. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Ah, oh, yes. You know, that's the feel of Israel. That's what he's sick of. This lying misery, this lying repentance again and again before God. And so, in our lives, we've got to realize that, and here again, here's my, I think my absolute last quote from Piper. God did not, Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. He didn't die for you so that you could just go on liking everything better than God. That's not the point of his death. And people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. Like if you could name your heaven, no, no war, no discomfort, no pain, everybody likes me, I've got plenty of video games, I can text anytime. You just name your heaven. And you think, gosh, that would be a perfect life. If Christ is not in that list or the centerpiece, then you're not going to be there. You're just not going to be there. Because it is about Christ. It is about this glorious feasting upon his beauty forever. That's, that's it. If you're not kind of into that now <laughs> as the centerpiece of your life, then you have to ask the question, why would you even want to be there? Why would you even want to be in heaven when it's all about Christ? So the gospel, he says, is not a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we've not been converted by the gospel. Now, if we perfectly wanted God above all things, we would perfectly obey Him. So we cannot, we don't perfectly. But we, this must be the overgrowing movement in our lives to want Him more and more, to grow in this desire of Him. The fundamental reality and concern in our lives is this glorious God. And we see a, a taste of God's attitude toward Israel. We sang about it in Psalm 95 when we, we sang the words that are there in that psalm that 
When he offers peace and pardon, let us hear his voice today, lest if we our hearts should harden, we should perish in the way. Lest to us so unbelieving he a judgment should declare, you so long my spirit grieving, never in my rest will share. And they died in the wilderness. Why? They didn't want God in the promised land. They didn't want to sacrifice to know God and love God and be with God. They didn't want Him. And and the sad thing for us is that in the end, uh, God will say to us in that final judgment day, go and cry out to the gods you've chosen. See what they can do for you. You can live with them forever now because you won't have me. That's what you wanted. That's what you get. And so these things do pierce us. They cause us to ask very serious questions of us. And I don't want to say that if you've ever been in pain or that repeatedly God's brought you to pain, that it wasn't real, that you repented. Because God does that. In fact, many of us, maybe most of us could all say, that's part of why I'm even here. God brought me love, brought down my pride, brought down all the things I was trusting in so that I would trust in Him. He had mercy in me, on me. So we're not saying that. We're just saying if this is the constant and only pattern that if you're in the end just using and abusing your relationship with God, like Dr. Davis, who writes a wonderful commentary on, on Judges, says this, and this, this, is, this is gripping, there's a difference between a prodigal who comes to his senses and returns home and a whore who pleads for her husband's security only until she finds someone else to take her on. And that's what we have to ask ourselves. Am I the prodigal? Am I giving myself to God? Or am I trying to use God in this way? But finally, always, always come to Him for mercy. This is not to set up, well, you're going to have to really fix your life before you come to to Jesus. You have to really look good before you come to Christ. Not at all. I love the passage in Isaiah 55 when he says, speaking of salvation as the waters and as a feast, he says, Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. And hear this question, especially in the light of what we've been saying. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Why do you do that? Come and eat the true feast of life and you don't have to bring anything to earn it. No performance. I don't care how bad or evil or constant it's been. You come and you will receive mercy. That's the message. Okay. So I'm in no way saying if you're broken, if you're helpless, if you've messed up so many times, don't dare come to God because he's just going to turn you away. Absolutely not. We're just speaking about that hypocrisy that would continue and continue to, to manipulate him and abuse him and trash him, to despise his mercy and not really embrace his mercy. And here, here's the interesting thing. We have to be saved from that manipulation or we'll do it. 
Just add that to your list of salvation, okay? Oh, Lord, save me from the hypocrisy that's in my heart. Lord, save me from all that will have its tendency in my life to abuse you and use you and manipulate you and, and walk and trample over your mercy. Lord, save me from that. So all I'm saying is dig a little deeper and ask for more mercy, okay? Rest in Him for salvation. Rest in Him for forgiveness for these things. And rest in Him that He will turn your heart around and keep you from spiritual adultery and keep you from replacing God with the trivia of this world, the trivial gods of this world. And remember the, the, the a hymn, Prone to Wonder, Lord, I Feel It, Prone to Leave, the God I Love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. He must give us those hearts. And, and I urge you, and this is just a starting place talking about the Word, but where it says we read, my soul is crushed with longing at all times for your word. I would urge you, don't be satisfied with anything less than a passion for his word. Please, brothers and sisters, don't be satisfied. Keep asking, keep coming to him, keep asking, Lord, what is it that stands in the way of this? What am I doing? What are the purposes of my life that would keep me from this? Bring it about, O Lord, bring it about. Don't be satisfied, but that God brings you to these passions. And he will. He will absolutely. That is his delight. That is his joy. To see his people feast upon him. Let us pray. O Lord, give us grace to give the word the place in our lives that It seemed to have there with the psalmist dwelling verse after verse, talking about delight and rejoicing and setting it before him. And they're his counselors. He rests in them. He has peace in them. He values them above all else in life. Lord, we pray not because we treat it as an intellectual text or We just love reading old things or history or whatever it may be. But Lord, heartbeat of our passion for your word is born in the fact that Jesus Christ has died for our sins. This this Lord Jesus has come to rescue us. And this Lord Jesus speaks to us. This Lord Jesus makes himself known to us. He reveals God to us. And it's to be found to be found as we hear this word, as we study and read and meditate on this word, as we memorize this word, as we discuss this word and encourage each other and speak this word to each other. Thank you, Lord, that as a part of your salvation, you will give us sincerity before you and unbearing our hearts to you and admitting the real nature of our sin to you giving ourselves up to your mighty grace that searches our heart and makes us clean. O Lord, you are our only hope in life and death. We praise you for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. 
Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?